All right, welcome to episode four of the What's on the Line podcast. My name is David Sikorsky, the executive director of CCA Maryland and your host. I am here in on uh, Eastern Avenue in Upper Fells Point, Baltimore, with fishing royalty, Mr. Tony Tochterman at Tochterman's Tackle, uh, the oldest fishing shop in the country for sure, and we believe the world, definitely oldest, continuously operating, um, and just an absolute fixture in, uh, in Charm City here in Baltimore. Uh, if you've ever been in the shop, you know that you get you get welcomed by some uh, friendly faces and some you know really helpful t- staff, uh, and it's been like that for a very long time. So Tony Tochterman, thank you for having us here to to talk about what's on the line and and catch up on fishing. I think fishing uh, tackle st- stores and and the fishing tackle side of it have been a fixture of our fishing community for so long. And of course, your family business here has been an important one to Maryland. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Again, it's a pleasure to have you here, and thank you for considering us to be part of this podcast. Uh, we like uh, doing anything we can to promote fishing, promoting fun with the families, and CCA. Thank you. Thank you. So, You're welcome. So, CCA, you've been uh, involved in some ways, mm-hmm. um, and to me, it's a, a testament of um, of the fishing industry always being on the forefront of conservation, you know? everything I see on the walls in here has an excise tax connected to it, you know, that pays into a system, um, you know, to support, to support conservation. And yeah, you know, Dennis and Johnson act has been around a long time. People don't realize that most of the yeah. uh, inventory that they buy when they go into a tackle shop, other than commercial, um, that it is a 10% excise tax, which has already been added at the manufacturer point being charged to the fishermen that you don't see that in golf. You don't see it in baseball bets. But you see it in fishing tackle, but nobody talks about it. Right, right. And so, you know, I've been fortunate enough to get to know you over the years, and I, you know, it's amazing. Every time I come in here, I learn something new. And, you know, you've been involved in in CCA and MSSA and all the different groups and youth and you name it. And I think, for me personally, quite often it's it's refreshing. You know, the tackle shop is the place that everybody in the fishing community, no matter where they come from, no matter what their economic levels are or anything, you name it. Yeah, what I always like to say is the fact that people are coming into the tackle shop, they say, well, gee, how can you work so many hours, or how can you do this so long? And the good thing about it is that, remember, now, if you go into a, an office, you know, you have to go to that office. But you go to a tackle shop, you're coming in to get away from the kids or with the kids, away from the wife or with the wife, or away from the job. But you're coming here because you want to do it. Yeah. It isn't like you're being forced to do it. Right. So that takes the edge off everybody else. And it's just up to us to make sure that when you come here, it's a fun experience. Because with any independent store, the important thing is to remember, these people have to go through their computer, they have to go past $23 stores to get to your store. You better sure as hell make sure that there's a reason why they're coming to your store. Because they can get any product they want, most any product, Mm -hmm. anywhere they want to go. So you got to make it a fun reason for them to come there. Make it a destination for people to want to come to your shop, no matter whose shop it is. So is that so? Starting here in 1916, tell us a little bit about Baltimore and kind of what that that your family's vision was, or the what what did they create for the community yeah, well, at that time? My grandfather, who uh, my grandfather and grandmother, which they worked side by side, everybody refers to as the man of the family that is the breadwinner. But my grandfather, uh, Thomas, he uh, worked, and he was a manager down at the fish market, which is now Port Discovery. And he was one of the managers there, and during the time that he was manager, of course, they had excess uh, fish, crabs uh, left over, and especially on the weekends. So 
with refrigeration being at such a hard place to have it, they decided since Eastern Avenue was one of the main thoroughfares, that it was he's going to try to bring some home and hustle it right here on Eastern Avenue. And the trolley went the entire length from here up through Essex. So people would hop off the trolley, get their bait, get on the trolley, and head on out to go fishing. And with that, my uh, grandfather still maintained his position as manager at the, at the fish market. So during the day, who ran the store was my grandmother. And so she would run the store. She would also make codfish cakes, uh, crab cakes, crab cakes especially. And she would sell candy, cigarettes, and uh, crab cakes and bait. There's a combination. <laughs> and I'm sure there were cigarettes in there, too, because yeah. my grandfather loved to smoke. Uh, but in that regards, they uh, were part of this community down here. It was a very German, Italian, German, Polish neighborhood. And my um, parents, um, of course, they, um, my grandparents, excuse me, on my mother's side, had a very, very large pet shop on the corner of Patterson Park and Eastern Avenue. Hmm. So, hell, I could have been selling dog food instead or fish food instead of fish and tackle. <laughs> so uh, that's how they, my parents met, my one buying fish from the store and my mother coming down to buy bait for the fish at their store. No kidding. So uh, that was their uh, romance, and they were married 68 years. Uh, my dad, who's been a fixture of this neighborhood and, and uh, the community and the tackle industry, uh, um, has been gone now 20 years, but he is still with us. Yeah. And uh, he had a very hard legacy for me to, to fill. But um, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I can't tell you how many families that are two, three, four, five generations that are regular customers of the store. And that's something that BP can't buy. No. They can't say I got five generations of customers. Yeah. So uh, we're very fortunate. And it's very fortunate that anybody that's listening to this podcast now can understand that they've lost someone in their past. And I guarantee you that anybody that has lost somebody remembers a fun time that they had somehow on the boat, fishing on the wharf, in a pond, in a stream. But fishing is part of one of their memories. Absolutely. And so I... I think I talked about it on a previous podcast, but I, uh, you know, kind of get introduced into fishing. Of course, my father, you know, and whether it's a father or not, everybody has some sort of mentor that gets them into fishing. And, uh, you know, all of us out there should be mentors to kids for the future. But so my experience um, was through my dad because he watched his grandfather, who was self-employed, um, go fishing all the time. If it rained, you know, he would go fishing. And they lived in on the west side of Baltimore. And I, I sit here and I don't know what their connection may have been to this shop, but I know it was here. <laughs> and it had to be. And you think of anybody that has a Baltimore-centric uh, family experience. I mean, we're you know the, the part that was in this uh, part of town was English, German, Polish. Sure. Um, and don't forget Little Italy. Don't yeah. Forget Little Italy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and so there's so many that are still here in Maryland in this yep. area. They may have moved to the suburbs. They may still be in the city. Who and knows? a lot of come back. Well, they do. A yeah. lot of them come yeah, back yeah. now. Well, I mean, I, I live in the city and mm-hmm. you know grew up in the suburbs. I, but I look, I. I Grew up in Rogers Forge. Uh, my parents, they moved to uh, uh, Delaney Valley, and that was all one and fine and dandy. But then in 81, uh, I decided to, because uh, I worked in here all the time, Fells Point was a wondering place to quench my thirst. Mm-hmm. So I decided that instead of driving back to uh, Delaney Valley, I'd stay down here. Yeah. So I bought a place in 1981 to temporarily stay so I wouldn't get in trouble <laughs> and I've never left so 38 years later you're still here yeah well that speaks to the, to the small community that Baltimore is in so many ways yep. small to more um but you know when I think anybody that comes in Tochterman's when you come in here you can just get the feel that people have been coming here for generations and I think to me that's something special and that's something that is so valuable to the fishing community 
you know, you yeah, can get they everything. Because bring their here. kids in, and now again, you got kids that are now grown up that are bringing their kids in, and the conversation ten times a week, I hear the same thing. Tony, can you believe it? I was this size when my grandfather or my father brought me in, and I remember that, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm seventy. I remember your father being yeah. little yeah. coming in here yeah. not just you coming in here but you're, you know so that's all fun part of it and they relate to it and yeah. that's that's really nice you got some good stores in maryland and we're lucky because the tackle shops um that have been good um th- there's a lot of good little tackle shops and you can get the fam mom and pop type thing down here uh we're blessed we have uh de pasquale's a hundred year old plus italian deli mm-hmm. we have uh, uh admins a hundred year old little you know, jewish corned beef type place you mm-hmm. got right here in the corner not that i'm promoting it but lillian zoller it's over a 130 year old Cuba home, you know. <laughs> if you go the next block up here again, you got the oldest duck pin bowling alley in the world. Oh yeah, Patterson Lanes. Patterson Lanes. Yep. I mean, it's like there is history down here that people are just excited about. They feel, they feel comfortable. It's like the old pair of shoes. It just is not the flashiest, but you know what? When you come here, you're comfortable. Absolutely. So. Yeah. You. Uh, and I mean, right down the hill here, people go fishing. You know. Oh, fishing's unbelievable. Now, Patterson Park. Now, yeah. Patterson Park is, some people don't realize that, but um, we're working on trying to have some of the grass removed from Patterson Park because it's so, uh, it's well-stocked three times a year, a lot of tournaments. Bob Wall with, with uh, Wreck and Parks has done a great job with Wreck and Parks. And we have youngsters now that are finally learning what fishing's all about. And thank God for Wreck and Parks for doing the job that they're doing. Absolutely. Because that, it really helps. It's a, it's a unsung um job that they do without getting any recognition for it no doubt about it we're fortunate enough to work with bob um at our uh, kids fishing event down at canton waterfront park which yep. dr men's gra- graciously sponsors i mean we get rods to send kids home with and to use and tackle and worms and you name it um, that's all, actually august 3rd this year a saturday that's the korean war memorial canton waterfront park um, and that's just one example of an opportunity that, that CCA is involved in to get kids fishing. But I'll tell you, Baltimore Parks and Rec or Rex and Parks is, and Bob is doing a tremendous job. Um, it, it's so important. I mean, when you live in a city, um, it doesn't mean you're, you should be limited in your access to, uh, to fishing. And to have those mentors like folks like Bob is so important um, and, and, you know, to our future. And in fact, there's a, uh, there's a gentleman who I, I work with on some fish stuff and he grew up in the city and he's a big trout fisherman. And he used to say that in he didn't really have trout in the city limits, but he fished certain rivers and he would catch dace or you know creek chubs and pretend they were trout. And you know <laughs> that's the that's the uh, you know the imaginative mind of a kid that the fishing teases out you know and teaches all those fun lessons. Sure does. And that's you know Baltimore sure has plenty does. of those opportunities, but yeah. you know having an anchor store like this, of course, uh, shares them. So. Um. A couple things of this, too, again, with service on old reels. Like, you know, we don't make any money on old parts and, and reels. And people say, why don't you sell your parts, you know, online? Well, because I only care about the guy that's bringing his grandfathers that was a customer of mine mm-hmm. in here. Or his grandfather or great-grandfathers. I don't care about some guy in Nebraska. That's why we don't have a, 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 a online presence. Website, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because this is fun. Mm-hmm. I have no desire to make, quote, money. Um, I have uh, my... My wife and I, D again, who everybody knows is a mainstay here. Uh, D and I are everything's paid for. Uh, we have no children. There's no reason to do anything but keep doing what we're doing, and mm-hmm. we're happy doing this. And if I 
make a really large website or do something different, then all we're going to do is make more money to hire more people to do what with it. Right. So right. we're going to just try to make this place a better, better place for our Baltimore people. Yeah. Uh, we are fortunate, though, with Baltimore being, believe it or not, a great destination. Uh, this past weekend, we had nine people in on Saturday from different states that were coming to Baltimore, but they wanted to make Tockerman's one of their stops in Baltimore. Mm-hmm which I'm very honored to even people would even consider even knowing about it, let alone stopping in to see it as. And that's pretty humbling. It's really humbling for people to come in and um, want to see a good old-time tackle shop. I'm not a BP. and never will be a BP. And I'm sure as hell not a Walmart. Right. So right. Uh, you want to come in, you want to talk about fishing and just enjoy and look around. That's what a tackle shop should be, no matter where you go. I'll tell you, I think my experience, if, if my experience is like anybody else's that comes here, I could come here and think I'm going to be here for five minutes. I'm here for an hour <laughs> because just the conversation, whether with, whether with you or D, or D or somebody in the hallway or in the, in the aisles, um, you know, in, even if I was a complete stranger, you know, I think from probably my first trip here, that was probably the experience I had talking with you. I and think that's, it's one of the reasons why Lefty Cray, who, let's face it again, I was blessed to be a good friend of his. Uh, for many years who we just lost. And the thing about Lefty is everybody that met him for the first time felt like at the end of the conversation that he was their friend. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a teacher. He wasn't, you know, any type of instructor, so to speak. He was a friend that was showing you Mm -hmm. how to do something different or to tell you how to do something different. And that was a quality that made everybody comfortable. And we want to make everybody comfortable. Right. So. Right. And it makes my life a lot easier because, hey, it's easier when everybody's happy. Right. Well, and, and you absolutely have everything here. I mean, from... We're trying to make it better. We're trying to make it better. We've been lucky enough. We just opened up our second floor for fly fishing. And uh, we have, of course, one a room which has been all designated for fly tying and lure building. And as you know, we have over 200 molds. We have uh, all the materials to make, and we have probably 40 vices for, uh, for holding the hooks from, I guess, $30 up to $800. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to hold um, a heavy four-pound parachute, if you want to hold a 32 trout hook, we got devices for it. But then next to that, we've been very fortunate. We want to expand our uh, uh, fly shop, so we put it upstairs because we need more room down here for clothing. Mm-hmm. And um, I will tell you, it has far exceeded our expectations. Uh, I think the fly fishermen have been so starved mm-hmm. for a place that they could go to get a decent selection of equipment. Uh, I sure wasn't ready for it, and I thought I had a decent inventory. It isn't where we wanted to go, but for an opening day, I figured we'd have enough inventory to be everybody happy in the selection. Um, but uh, we know that our final goal is by uh, next year to have over 200 different fly reels in inventory mm-hmm. and uh, over 150 different fly rods from 10 to 11 different manufacturers so, so that they can come into one place and then they can pick what they want, not just the three manufacturers that, well, if you want a four-way, you can pick this company, this company, or this mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. I want to give the guy a choice. You want a four-way? What company do you want? Mm-hmm. And the manufacturers don't like it, but they can't come after me because I tell them, if your product's that good, you don't have to worry about it. It'll beat the other ones hands down. Customer's always so, right. Amen. Most of the time. So Until uh, they leave. Yeah. No, it's like, it, so we're really excited the way that's going. Um, so it's just another, 
it's just another part of the fishing community that we are very, very honored to service. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. For that reason. And like I say, with uh, people like uh, Lefty Cray and Joe Brooks, um, Fly Fisher Magazine just did a, a thing this past spring on the 50 most influential people that have ever been in fly fishing. And number one was Lefty, mm -hmm. one of our customers. Number mm -hmm. two was Joe Brooks, one of our customers. But if you go through the whole list of 50, I counted 13 of those of the top 50, which were regular customers of ours. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. It is. And, uh, in fact, I was even astonished yeah. that um, uh, that that kind of reputation is, is a lot. And that's just in the fly industry. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you the amount of manufacturers when uh, the president of Shimano uh, um, you know, called us uh, on our 100th year. Uh, that was pretty impressive when I got a call from uh, Mr. Hardy from over in the U.K. about our 100th year. I mean, these are things that you just can't buy. Right. And uh, uh, that's, uh, that's what makes a family business a lot of hours. Mm -hmm. But what you sacrifice, you really get a lot back in return. Yeah. You really do. A lot of hard work and a lot of things like that that are hard to... Um, Put a value on they're priceless right they are priceless those stories those experiences that's one of those commercials again you're going to say it is priceless yeah and i can mean it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so 1916 you opened uh pre-world war one yeah we were a couple years before world war one and the people come into our store see part of our collector's item they'll see a picture of my grandfather standing in front of the store uh, back in uh, pre-1916 and you'll look above the, he where it's standing, and above the door there is a sign on Tochterman's fishing tackle, but Tochterman's was really Tochterman with T-O-C-H-T-E-R-M-A-N-N with two N's. And even though at that time we were fifth generation down from York, Pennsylvania, um, what had happened is that people, when we got into the war a couple years later, people realized the fact that, gee, you're German descent, and so you have two N's. So they would not buy from us. So my grandfather decided, you know what, we better Americanize, even though it pretty nonsensical, but I can understand the emotion. Yeah. And so he dropped it in. So now we became good Americans, and by Tocker Men, in the next hundred years is all, you know. It's history. It's the way it is. It's yeah. history. Well, and that's that's interesting because that's such Because we were showing sympathy towards a Kaiser by not changing it. Interesting. Which is so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so prejudice lives a hundred years ago. Well, right. No and it, it's been industry. so different no matter where you come from in the nope. world, what you look like. There's a different experience that everybody has to get where they are. and Everybody has a story. It's never simple. <laughs> no question about it. Not at all. Another thing I, I like to talk about with fishing, and I talk about this to a lot of people, and, and I've been lucky enough to travel around the world. And one thing I'll notice about fishing, and I think fishing is something that is really not appreciated by most people that do not fish, that I can take a fishing rod and I can go to any airport in the world. I can take a baseball bat, a lacrosse stick, a soccer ball. And people will know he plays soccer, he plays lacrosse, he plays baseball. But nobody's going to go up to him. You take a fishing rod into an airport, somebody's coming up, where are you going or where mm -hmm. you been? Mm -hmm. Everybody's a brother in fishing. There's yeah. no other sport yeah. that can do that. Yeah. And then my best trick has always been told to me that if you ever go to visit in some town you're unfamiliar with or country, it doesn't matter, you go into the local watering hole because at some point you're going to get thirsty. And while you're <laughs> mixing with the locals, you can always say, if you can do it without being the ugly American, you just say, I love to fish. Oh, you're fishing? Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. And then you go on and you talk a little bit and you say, you know what? He says, I really love to fish. And somebody will always come up and say that they're good fishermen. 
And what you tell them is, I'll bet you $50 and I can outfish you in any water you want. Well, the guy says, baloney, you're not going to outfish me. And so he says, I'll take you out, which is fine. But, of course, it's all done, you know, very humorously. Uh-huh. You know you're going to lose that $50, but he's going to take you the best fishing hole that you can find. So it beats betting a guide. So therefore, Tony's tips to cheap fishing travel right there. Cheap fishing guide right there. Just bet the guy. You'll you'll give him the 50 bucks, but again, for $50, you can't buy all that knowledge for the best fishing hole. That's funny. That's funny. So, you know, you you mentioned the the excise tax. Um, You've lived it. I mean, being part of this industry, I found some interesting information recently that the uh, American Sport Fishing Association put together, um, you know, it's 49 million anglers in the country. So that block would be more, more, it's more people than any, the population of any state on its own. That's more people that play golf and tennis combined. Mm-hmm. So no wonder there's such a relationship to fishing. And, you know, in representing recreational anglers and representing CCA members, you know, we don't represent everybody because it is such a diverse community of 49 million different opinions and tactics and favorite fish and favorite lures you name it that's the beauty of it that's why there's the shelf after shelf in here and rack after rack (laughs) of items but it also leads to the complexity of it right and but that's a beautiful thing and it it is i think it's a great equalizer and i'm reminded of that quite often in this store you see people from all over the neighborhood nobody looks the same nobody is the same and that's cool as it can be you know the um so we we can't we can't talk for this long it's the biggest equality that you can find because whether yeah. someone it has nothing to do with your status yep. has nothing to do with your age people will love to talk to other people about fishing about if they're not doing it right they don't mind going over and saying hey have you tried this yep or if you need to be here try a piece of this or try this lure or whatever that is something that we all share because we all share the same type of respect for nature mm-hmm. and for somehow fishermen are, I don't know any fishermen that are really imprisoned for any major crimes. <laughs> it's something that really, we're different. We love nature, right. we love fish, right. and basically we really do love people. Well, yeah, anywhere you go fishing, it's hard to leave a fishing spot with other anglers around and, and not have somebody stop by, hey, what'd you catch? Yeah. What'd you catch it on? There's always a conversation going yeah. on. Nobody's afraid yeah. to talk to anybody. Yeah. It's not a problem. Yeah, and, and the guys that have a good day may see somebody struggling right down the, the bank or whatever or, and right on, walk on over and say, hey, why don't you try this? It worked for me. Or I'm leaving. I'm out. Of, here's the rest of the, my bait. That We're kind talking of about stuff. 49 million people. And yeah. I was reminds me back in the day when we had great writers like Bill Burton and Lefty Cray and, and uh, Candy Thompson writing for The Sun. Yeah. What was crazy, we had one writer or two that would have a column once a week or twice a week in The Sun. Mm-hmm. But they had 37 different reporters talking about the Orioles and the Colts, which is fantastic. Right. But we had twice as many people fishing right. than going to the Orioles and, and uh, Colt games. Right, right. Don't you think you ought to put your – but the problem is if these people do not fish, they don't understand, right. and they don't put the money there. Right. Absolutely obscene. Just well, absolutely obscene. In, in you know my role at CCA, even when I was a volunteer and dealing with folks that are making decisions on a regulatory level, you know, there's tons of highly talented people that know so much stuff about their part of their world in, in DNR. You know, there's folks that are more on the political level, and then you got folks that are elected, you know, legislators, wherever it may be. These people that, that make these decisions for us, the most are elected, some are appointed or, or hired. Um, and sometimes, you know, I look around and I go, well, you know, how many of these folks actually fish? And you're, it seems like not that many. And it's like, oh, come on. And But the cool part is they're one purchase away. They buy a license. They buy a rod. They buy some worms or whatever. 
and they're, they're now an angler. And so you can look at it two ways. You can say, all right, there's not enough of us out there making these decisions that understand our community and what it's all about, but you can teach them real quick. And oh, it's, it's something to it. And once they get that first fish, the first you know jerk yeah. at one end waiting for a jerk at the other, yeah. once we get that, we're into it. Yeah. One thing I'd like to do, again, and I'd like to, uh, and since you have some pull with certain people, <laughs> I think DNR is making a mistake in something simple. We have free fishing days, yeah. June 1st, June 8th, July 4th. That's fine. However, if a guy works for a living, is busting his tail, has got four kids, and he wants to go fishing, that $20 license, whatever it is, is 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And he's going to look at himself, my kids want to go fishing, but that's one day. If I take them out that one Saturday and take them fishing, that's a free day. Mm-hmm. Why not make it a, a, a weekend? Why not make it a whole week? Two, three weeks a year. If his kids love fishing, mm-hmm. and if the chances are they're going to love fishing more if they have two days together or a week together, just twice a year, three times a year, mm-hmm. he's going to buy a license because his kids will want to go every other week, yeah. not just once. And he won't be so reluctant to spend that 20 bucks or 25 bucks. Right, lessens the bar of entry. And I think that that would be something they should consider because yeah. if a guy isn't going to buy a license because it's a free one day, mm-hmm. he's not going to buy a license because, you know, he will buy a license because his kids want to go. Right, right. And well, I just think that that is an opportunity that they're missing. No doubt about it. And we've had, um, there's a downward trend in license sales in the state and, and in some, many places across the country. Some states have seemed to have gotten it right in some way, and it's not just the DNR's job. I mean, they have a lot going on. And um, But one challenge I've, I've noted with, with them and seen is, is the decline in budget. Um, and I don't really know that process that well, to be honest with you, but it is somewhat frustrating. And a lot of what they rely on does come from... Um, from what they call special fund revenue, which is licenses. And so sometimes, just like you and as a small business, um, you may invest in something hoping that you're going to get a certain return. And if you get it, great. If not, you know, maybe you learn something about that investment. And I think um, in conversations I have with folks at DNR, you know, we constantly come up with different ideas. And I think you just need to get to the point where it's like, can we just take this maybe quote-unquote risk to say, all right, we're going to try this new idea and see It doesn't what cost anything. Yeah. But what I was just talking about, that would not cost them anything. Right. Uh, so I just think we have to get more people to fish. Uh, God, we should start talking about the minimum wage if you want to again. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, no, we have to get creative. You know, we have to get creative and think about the different things that are barriers to people going fishing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there, and there's there's simple solutions. There's not a really complicated. This is fishing. Mm-hmm. This isn't brain surgery. Right. And I think that if we make it more fun for more people, have more accessibility for more people to go, um, I think that would be, you know, much better. Uh, I love the idea we're going to have a fishable, swimmable harbor by 2020, and it's always brought up every election year mm-hmm. that we're going to do it. Right. And every election year, you can go back, and I've been quoted 22 years ago again about saying the same thing. Don't tell me we're going to have a cleaner. We're having it cleaner, and they're doing a good job. But I'm not so sure that they're going to have this swim coming up this year. Mm-mm. I'm not so sure. Again, I've been in that harbor, not by choice, mm-hmm. but I've been in that harbor again <laughs> off of a boat accident. And I will tell you that um, <clears throat> I still don't use uh, suntan lotion to this day, and that was 40 years ago because of the oil that's still on my body. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, it's, yeah, we, we always uh, talking about fisheries issues and stuff. There's a sl- many, many pieces of that equation that impact the health of the bay and the health of our fisheries, it all comes back to us. I mean, there's a lot of people that live in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, and there's decisions that leaders make 
every single day, and you know the the combined sewer systems that exist here that are ancient well, the and infrastructure. System, now they're talking about banning plastic bags. Uh, and then if you ban plastic bags, then there's going to be a nickel charged by the stores to the consumer, and then there's four cents back. Again, it all comes back to revenue, mm-hmm. building more revenue. Uh, I think that by educating the kids in school that there's trash out there, guys, teach the children that you don't throw a piece of trash on the floor. You don't throw it in the gutter. It's going to end up in our bay. Right. You make sure that these people realize that there's a dumpster, there's a trash can. I remember growing up, the Van Sand Dugtail, those people had something with Mayor uh, Schaefer, and it was called Trash Ball. What a perfect idea. Every trash can is a basketball hoop. You know? No so kidding. this way, you trash ball. And trash ball is right on the trash cans. So you pick up a cup, boom, there's trash ball. No kidding. You know, and every kid loves to throw something. I mean, we're all heroes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, we're all going to be able to do that. Yeah. Bring the old trash ball back. Yeah. It's better than putting Baltimore or I'm mayor or whoever the heck's doing this stuff. Right. Think about the kids that, and that would have a different perspective on you don't throw it on the ground. Yeah. You throw it in the trash can. Uh, yeah, it all comes back to education. And yeah. there's I, a, I think there's examples throughout the fishing community all over the place where when people, in fact, it's why conservation exists. It's why this concept that was really started by sportsmen in this country to, to come up with, with taxes that can support habitat and restoration and that kind of work too, to step up and create groups like CCA and MSSA and these other clubs and groups that share fishing. Well, if you are love to fish, you're going to be invested in making sure you have a bright future for your resources around you. And so there's got always got to be a starting point, and every generation has opportunities to try and make things better. Um, you know, it's... it's of, Trash is a big focus of, of CCA now. Um, well, people can... People can understand trash mm-hmm. they see a styrofoam cup yeah. a paper cup a yeah. plastic cup a plastic bag a tin can floating in the harbor mm-hmm. they can relate to that but it still isn't educated enough the public has not been knowing that when you throw that can in a sore where it ends 10 up. miles away yeah. where's it going to end yeah. up yeah um i think that that is a you know, let's face it education seems to be the biggest problem for it really a is. lot of issues it really is yeah, it's amazing our friends at uh, back river restoration which back mr. river is mr weaver yeah yeah sam, sam weaver is the president does a great job karen mm-hmm. win their director yep. they're over in uh, in essex on back river and back river while it's in the county um all the eastern side of the city flows that way with the watershed and um i mean the the stats on the trash they picked up is unbelievable they did a study where they uh, took water bottles and painted them and so they could tell. I think they put paint inside and shook it around and put the lid on so it could float and they could see it. Um, and they put them all over different storm drains and every all these different places to do a study and figure out how much Where, stuff makes it down. Right. Down. And it was staggering all the how amount many? that gets there. I mean, yeah. it eventually gets there. Yeah. You know, and it's just up to us to be responsible and to continue yeah, to so, lead. So, again, that's one of the things we have to tell. Moving yeah. on less of a political news of a stump even though it's a political <laughs> year god i would love to talk about that but we won't um i will just say that i, I can only thank the uh the baltimore uh the maryland public for making my life just unbelievably it's a dream it's a dream to be in the fishing tackle business if you go at it in the correct way mm-hmm. um you're not going to get rich in the tackle business but most family businesses, you don't get rich in any way, mm-hmm. um, especially the way the economic climate is today in the taxable situation. But you do it for the pride. You do it for 
just the basic, you love coming to work in the morning. And how many people cannot say, I love going to work, rather than, oh, i got to go to work. Right, right. And fishermen don't like that. Fishermen will come in here when they're supposed to be working, I'm sure, mm -hmm. and they'll stop in and they'll say, man, I'm going fishing. And you can see the difference in the pressure in their life mm -hmm. that they would do it. And knowing that we're a small part of that, that's unbelievable. Yeah. It really is unbelievable. So I was in here last Thursday, uh, Father, before Father's Day weekend, and some friends and I went to the Upper Potomac uh, trying to catch smallmouth and maybe a walleye, maybe a muskie. We didn't know what the heck we were going to catch. And most of the guys weren't fishermen. And actually, one of my good friends I rode up with, we had this conversation about fishing because he really doesn't relate to fishing that much. He's more of an adrenaline kind of guy. But his son is showing an interest in it. So now he's going, you know, this is something I can, you know, bond with my son over, then maybe I should get into fishing. And he said, you know, I really never understood what it's all about. It's kind of boring. And I said, no, you're missing the point. It's about the whole experience. It's not just about the catch. The catch is a big part of it. That's but, the bonus part. Well, yeah, but it's the buildup. Yeah. And I told him about being in the store on Thursday afternoon. And I went, you know, I was just looking on the shelves going, what the heck would a muskie eat? You know, there's people all over the place. And it's just <laughs> that feeling. It's that buzz. You're excited. And you, you fill your arms full of stuff and walk up to the register and, you know, I don't know, maybe three or three out of the ten baits I bought made it in the water. And actually a muskie followed one of them three <laughs> times. So I called I called you, what, yesterday? Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm sitting here talking to you in the middle of the day. I'm so excited to tell you my fishing story. And you go, hey, Dave, I love you, man, but uh, i got to go. i got customers staring me in the face. <laughs> but that's the kind of, like, excitement I think every angler has when they come in here, right? Uh, like, that's what do I buy? But I remember when you brought the, the, the baits up to the counter, it was funny because how many people said to you, what are you going to use that for? Right. What are you going to use that for? Right. They're all part of it. Yeah. It's a party atmosphere, yeah. and that's what makes it really great. Yeah. So uh, when you go to uh, any one of your box stores, I will have to say that it is not quite as enthusiastic right. than what you would do. We don't want to get Mr. Farmer on the bad side of Mr. Farmer again, because <laughs> BP needs the business too. However, again, he does a great job with a great store, and I only have good things to say about BP. Yeah. Local. Yeah. <laughs> we, we won't talk national, but local yeah. are great people, and yeah. uh, um, they're they're friendly competition, and they're good competition. We're two different worlds. Sometimes yeah. you want to go to Prime Rib, sometimes you want to go to the McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. Mickey D's is a great place. Got a few more places than BP does. Yeah, yeah. And BP's got a few more places than Tockerman does. Yeah, and we're like, all, hey, we're we're all part yet. of the same community. At you know. 70 again, who knows what I'm going to be when I'm, you know, 170. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. All part of this big fishing community that's a uh, – we're a family, and just like every family, we're, we are we a fight. family. Yeah, <laughs> we and it's hug. really funny when we when I go down to BP or Dave comes in here, people say, you know, he's with, you know, he's with, and it's like, yeah, we go to dinner and we have fun yeah. and we yeah. talk we're and people. we're fishermen. <laughs> yep. I mean, what's the big deal? Yep. You know. Yep. yep. And I think that makes it fun. I can walk into any of the stores. While I go down and see Charlie and Michael at Anglers, if mm -hmm. I go see Bill and Clyde at Clyde's, I go down and see Keith at All Tackle. You know, hey, Tony, how you doing? Whatever. We're yeah. all in this family business. Yep. If I go to see Michael with Great Feathers for a fly shop, it, there's no difference. Yeah. Everybody, we're all in this business together. It isn't like you're the enemy. Right. It's There's enough business for everybody. Right. You don't lose business again. You lose your own business. Your own store does. Uh, you don't have to promote. You just just do what you're doing. Right. Just treat everybody like your, like your grandmother. Right. And you'll be fine. Yeah. 
So, it's fun being all these little gizzies and gadgets again. You know, the different kind of fishing rods that are out today. There's so many new materials. Uh, everything, the reels are lighter, the rods are lighter, they're more sensitive. Uh, the materials are much better. The hardware is much better. If a guy wants to buy a little outfit for a kid that's decent for $24.95, go for it. If he wants to buy something that's much more up there, he wants to spend $2,000 for an outfit, go for it. Mm -hmm. It's there, but the price and the quality has just been improving over the years for anything. And so you can get a much better reel, much better rod, and they don't have to be expensive. It's like anything else. You get pretty much what you pay for. Mm -hmm. But uh, the day of the junk is uh, pretty well gone now. You yeah. don't see that anymore in tackle. Yeah, that's amazing. And the... Uh like you said earlier, people have to get past their computer or past a different store or something else to end up here. But when you end up in a place like this, you know, folks can't see it because we're in a recording a <laughs> podcast here. But I'm looking at like... Hi, we're Roy Gays Live in downtown Phil's Point, Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, come and join us again. We're open every night. Don't forget to tip your bartenders and waitresses. <laughs> I'm staring at, a mil <laughs> not a million, but hundreds of, fly of reels in here, spinning reels behind Tony. Uh, and it's like, to put your hands on something is still very valuable to, to folks, especially with fishing. You can't buy stuff over the Internet and be just as pleased with it because it's something that's a hands-on situation. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to crank it. You have to feel it. you got to see how it balances. You have to see how it bounces on the rod you're going to buy. Uh, you can buy one. Eh, should I get six foot or six and a half foot? Should I get a one piece or a two piece? Should I get a medium, medium light, medium heavy? Should I get a medium heavy fast taper or a standard taper? There's so many things to make that rod perfect for you and the way you're fishing that it can't be done on a computer. You come in here, you see a reel number seven that you want to buy, it's 100 bucks, and you go online and, and it's 90 bucks. Okay, you save 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know what the hell you're buying, and you come in and you, and you see us, and you say, well, man, I'm not going to go, I'm just going to go online. And you buy a reel, and I'm not saying this, but let's say the reel's 100 bucks with me here, and they got it online for $60. Mm -hmm. Hell of a deal. But if that reel is $60 and it's the wrong reel, mm -hmm. you didn't save 40 you just wasted 60 And time. And, and the and time. shipping yeah, back and, and forth. Saying, oh, or what I do this stuff. for? And a lot of times you people don't really know the difference until they get out there and they're using it. Right. Right. You know, it's not the right equipment for the individual, and that's why you need the personal tackle shops mm -hmm. to tell that. That's why you don't go to Walmart to buy a goddamn rock. You can't buy a, a, a spinning outfit. It's just yeah. not right. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just from one reporter here. Hi, just glad to serve you any way we can. <laughs> so, fishing. Now, growing up in the tackle world. Talk about some, I, I know you've gotten to meet some. I had some. to grow up? <laughs> no, well, okay. getting older. <laughs> getting older in the tackle world. More mature, world. more mature. Uh, maybe not. Okay. So <clears throat> I know you've had some, probably some great experiences. We talked about Lefty, we talked about Joe and some other folks that have you know, come, crossed through these doors. And I know you well enough to know that you don't treat anybody different, whether they're famous or not. But what are some of the more memorable stories you've had, whether it be somebody that's noteworthy or just a, that is important to you in, in your life and, you know, a trip somewhere uh, that you got to take because of being part of the, the Tockerman family? Well, i got to be honest again. There's probably nobody more important to me than you, Dave. I mean, you are probably the most <laughs> important person that's ever come in here. And I have to now honor I am that you would take the time to be with us. And, let me, and Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you were the truth and nothing but the truth. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. Although that is truthful. Again, your friendship means a lot. Uh, and with your dedication to CCA also means a lot. I have, a lot of people don't know how much behind-the-scene work goes on by a lot of the guys at the different uh, CCA members. It's a lot of 
time that is spent, and I'm not trying to blow smoke, but uh, I've been there. I was a past president of Southeast Baltimore, not Southeast Baltimore Business. I was president of that, and I was president of the Baltimore chapter 100 years ago at CCA. And the amount of time that people spend trying to make fishing better for everybody is really appreciated because the time you're spending with CCA, you could be spending on the water. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just want to go shout out to those people. Talking about some of the people, I guess the most famous fisherman has to still be Lefty. Uh, some of his stories are just fantastic. I remember the, the first article he ever wrote that on one of the trips I went down to uh, Belize, and in Belize, which he invited me down to, I learned that at that early age that the best thing you want to do is when Lefty brings out a pen and pencil, you shut up because it's going to hit the paper. And uh, I remember the last line of one of his some paper articles on my first trip down there with him is that he said, we were amazed, we knew that Tony could fish, but we were amazed at more of his eating skills. <laughs> because at the end of the meal, he, he grabbed all the bowls, brought them together when everybody was finished, and he ate everything off the table but the pattern on the plate. <laughs> and that was the first article on the sun paper where I had my first name in the paper. And um, so from that point on, I knew how to keep my mouth shut uh, with Mr. Lefty Cray. Um, God, some of the stories I can tell you about him are just fantastic. I'll just tell you one other cute little story. Um, uh, he, he was doing a slide presentation back when slides were important. And uh, talking about his humor... It was when the Polish jokes were really strong, and of course, probably not politically correct, but uh, one of the slides jammed. And he says, without batting an eye, he says, oh, no problem again. While I'm fixing this, just take me a minute again, I'll tell you a Polish joke. And one of the more rough guys uh, said, Mr. Craig, just want you to know I'm Polish, and Lefty didn't even bat an eye. He just turned around and said, okay. I'll say it real slow so you understand it. <laughs> and, of course, the whole crowd went crazy. But that was the kind of humor that I experienced with most of my friends in, in fishing. <clears throat> I was honored enough to be um, not a friend because he was too old and I was much too young, was Ted Williams because Ted Williams was uh, an individual who was a friend of lefties. But we got associated with him because he became Mr. Sears Roebuck, and we were one of the largest suppliers of Sears and Wards through our wholesale division for over 20 years, uh, selling Sears and Wards their fishing tackle. Okay. And uh, we were uh, in the midst of uh, producing, and you can see some of the reels in here today, of uh, making Ted Williams' name fishing tackle, Ted Williams' rides, Ted Williams' reels. Uh, my dad and my uncle were very, uh, uh, very effective in doing that. So Mr. Williams was here a lot, and he used to like to go up to Houser's Restaurant up on Eastern Avenue, and they would have many lunches and dinners up there. And so he wanted to, uh, my dad wanted to get me a, an autographed baseball, and when I met Mr. Williams, it was like, well, he's a baseball player. I couldn't care less. I was so young. I think I was six. I can't remember the first time. And he got me a baseball, and he signed it. He said, to Tony, your pal, Ted Williams. And I thought that was pretty neat, but I really didn't understand the significance of it till later on in life. I was watching the Discovery Channel, and I had heard this, but Ted Williams' first baseball that he ever had written was to Ted, your pal, Babe Ruth. And that's pretty neat stuff. You got that right. Uh, yeah. Uh, the other thing over in the collector's case that I'm proud of, too, when Lefty, in fact, the last book he signed for me, it says, to Tony, thanks for sharing your life with me. And that's pretty good pretty good sentence to say yes and uh we're upstairs by the way again which we haven't really announced this completely yet uh the upstairs with lefty's blessing uh is actually going to be called the lefty cray fly shop it is not going to be done for a marketing campaign it's being done in respect and honor for a man that promoted fly fishing 
And for that reason alone, uh, he deserves that kind of honor, and he was pleased that we were wanted to do that. So that will be announced as we uh, continue to make the flash up a better st- place for people. Uh, there'll be a lot of things up there from different people and different stuff of his, but uh, there'll be letters that he, he wrote to my wife and I, and I'm very proud to say most of them were signed dad. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah. As far as uh, the other baseball players, we've had a lot of different players in here. We had a lot of business people in here. Um, talking about the Sun Paper, um, Mr. Black with the Sun Paper, or Mr. Black and Decker back in then. Uh, one thing I kidded Dad about, they told Mr. Black and Decker, um, my dad told Mr. Black and Mr. Decker when they both said, Tommy, you ought to put money in the company. Uh, my dad says, no, he's going to put money in his own company. Well, I tell Dad how many days I could be just a rich little playboy if he had just bought their original <laughs> stock. But I'm glad it worked out this way. But um, I guess the most proud person I'm proud of is the everyday guy that comes in here. Yeah. The guy that doesn't have endless sums. The guy that comes in and he buys a dozen night crawlers and a packs of hooks and sinkers and is quiet and is humble and he enjoys what he's doing. Yeah, he's going to have his peace and quiet somewhere. And it doesn't matter whether it's by himself or with his children, but he's taking his hard-earned money that you know a lot of these people aren't rich. Mm-hmm. And he's willing to spend that money in my store mm-hmm. to buy something that is important to him. And um, that's the one that touches my heart. I'm impressed with a lot of the business people. I'm impressed with some of the, well, I can't say impressed with the politicians, but there are a few. Mm-hmm. Barbara Mikulski is one that I'm impressed with, even though Babs and I disagreed on some of her views. <laughs> uh, I, I loved her because she believed in what she said. Whether yeah. we agree or not, she was sincere. Yeah. And um, for that reason, that's one of my favorites. Um, but the regular John Q. public, yeah. that's, that's who makes my life worthwhile. And they bring the kids in, that's the bonus, like catching fish. Going yeah. fishing to go fishing. When you get the tug at the other end, that's that's a nice little bonus, but it's not why you're going. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, I, you know, I didn't, my buddy that was on that trip with me, I watched him fish throughout the weekend. And one of the things we I'd said on the way up again was, you know, it's about the experience more so than what you're going to catch. And just put your phone away. Stop thinking about work. Sit back and relax. You know, we're floating down a river. And I said, so if you can't find some value in that, then I don't know how to help you. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty the, of adrenaline stuff you can do another time. Look at the time. birds and look, look at the, the, this wildlife alone. But look at the trees. Um, it's a lot. It's very similar to one of us when we're younger and we're into the go fast boats. Mm-hmm. And you go from one bikini contest to another bikini contest, right? And a little sudsy you're going floating all this stuff. And then you decide that somebody says, let's go, I'm a sailboater. And you're thinking, a sailboater. Yeah, you might as well just give me poison ivy because, you know, it's going to be as painful. <laughs> and you get on a sailboat if you have an open mind, and all of a sudden you're having a conversation that without screaming. Right. You're actually drinking your beer instead of wearing it. <laughs> and you're saying, you know, it really is nice. And I'm not taking the sailboat aside, but I'm just saying that yeah. there's two different worlds to people. Yeah. And there's guys that come down here that want to go, oh, sure, with the big chains and old internationals. Mm-hmm. And there's other guys that want to come in and they just want to take catch a two-inch fish mm-hmm. out of the gunpowder. Mm-hmm. And it's all the same. Yep. It doesn't matter the size of your fish. Yep. It's the size of the experience. And the experience is, it's really, really neat. And I wish I could put it into words, but I can't. 
it just a feeling. Well, you don't have to. I mean, you you do every day is the truth. I mean, here in this shop, every person that comes in can get a little little bit of Tony Tockerman, that, that attention, uh, in the maybe stories. Maybe more than they want. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But, and that's it. I mean, and, and it could be from the smallest reel to the biggest. I mean, every fisherman probably, every, every male, man, female, young, old, doesn't matter. Goes through be, some sort be of. Be correct on this, of course. Be correct on this one. Don't let anybody out. I mean, literally everybody. Everybody. Um, you know, you go through this evolution, and, and maybe I just perceive it that way because that's what I've gone through. You know, I have different parts of different fisheries that I enjoy at different times in my life for whatever reason. And, you know, for now it's going to be musky because of this experience <laughs> I had last weekend. Um, but that's the coolest part about fishing. Guys, it's the new date. It's a new date for you. Yes. It's all excited yes. about this new yes. date. Yes. Uh, the musky. Yeah. So, but it's, I mean, look at the, op- at the endless opportunities. In this state of Maryland alone, you know, American miniature, brook trout, the white marlin, and everything you need for it, you can buy in a shop right like here. this. Within how many miles of Maryland? Out of Baltimore. Yeah. Can you do whatever you want to do? 100 miles each way. You've, you know, 100 plus, you've got everything yeah. you want. Melon and, and miniature, and it really is. And we get some bad raps, but I can uh, tell you that Baltimore City is getting, uh, let's face it, we have a part of Baltimore City that we could improve on. Mm-hmm. But basically, Baltimore and the Baltimoreans, most of the people, when people come here, and we have a lot of people from around uh, different parts of the world, we, a lot of them come here because they're at University of Maryland. They're at Hopkins. They're here for different reasons. They're coming into D.C. for an event. And where they're that close, they want to see Baltimore. And there's two parts of Baltimore. There's the Baltimore that is in the news, mm-hmm. and there's the Baltimore that really lives. And the Baltimore that really lives is really appreciated by a lot of people, a lot of salesmen, uh, a lot of uh, just tourists throughout mm-hmm. the town. So... Um, I'd have to say that I'm proud to be in this city. It's It's been a, a good ride, and I'm proud of the people. Most of the people here are uh, they're polite. Uh, most of the people here are welcoming to outsiders. Um, so um, don't give up on the city. It's a, it's a good city. It absolutely is, and it's, yeah. I mean, there's so much it has to offer, and there's so many great people here. Um, so bloodworms. Bloodworms? Yes. Yeah. So I've been amazed to learn so much about bloodworms and the work that Dee does to figure out how to keep them alive longer. And yeah, I was amazed again. When Dee came on board again, we've been lucky enough to be together for 30 years. Dee um, came on board more as a clerical-type situation to help me out in the office. And then, of course, she jumped right into uh, the store because the store, she, she's great with people. And um, talk about being great with people. You'll find nobody in the world that has a better reputation than D when it comes to Costa Del Mar sunglasses. There you go. Uh, and by your Costa Del Mar is right now because they're on. No, they're, I'm telling you, she is unbelievable because she will. People and you know it yourself. Yeah. People have come in and they will say, you know, you got to see D, and it's a pair of sunglasses. It's not a pair of sunglasses. It's because of the size of your face, your complexion, your eyes, your mm-hmm. coloration. What are you going to use them for? Mm-hmm. It isn't a pair of glasses that looks pretty on you. Yep. You got to find a pair of glasses that has function on you. And she is the only person I know that knows how to do it correctly. So for that reason, that's the Costa girl now. Yeah. The bloodworm yeah. girl was the first thing, though. But when we first got together, she saw the loss of bloodworms. And bloodworms, let's, without fooling around, it's a dollar worm. Uh-huh. So if I threw away a 30% of my shipment, you know, we're throwing away $10,000, whatever it is, every week. When you throw $10,000 of anything away, take $10,000 bill and just burn it, mm-hmm. it's like, are you kidding me? Right. D saw it as a loss in revenue. 
but she saw, more importantly, a loss of a, loss of a living creature to go to, to no use on purpose. Right. It's one thing to have a worm. It's going to die, but it's being used to catch fish. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's part of the food chain. Mm-hmm. But to just let it lose because it's not kept correctly and, and it has no shelf life, that drove her crazy. So it was more to save the animal than it was, or at least to put a better purpose in the animal than just yeah, waste it. That's neat. And so she did everything she could. She would spend hours and hours and hours working on solutions and working on temperatures and working on everything to try to get the right mix. And when she says she's going to put them in water, I said, you're out of your mind. They can't live in water. Well, she says they come out of water, which I couldn't fight that because they do. So she did more research and more research, and she had a lot of losses uh, where it didn't work, it didn't work, it didn't work. And then all of a sudden, she hit upon something. And it was so unique that she's actually been featured in papers in London, in India, uh, in the U.K. She's been featured in papers there. Uh, we got a call from the um, people at a Shimano at the office, and they called up, and they said, well, we saw a picture of you because Dee made the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, and, of course, she made the front page of the Sun above the fold on the front page counting worms not a whole lot of people can say i've got my picture of in the front of the sun not in the sports section in the news section counting worms no kidding so that how she became the, the worm girl and so uh when we go out now it is not a problem for people to say there's the worm girl and of course people that don't understand say what they call you <laughs> <laughs> and she says the worm girl and i'm proud of it so um that is something that's been unique so between uh, running the company smoothly, taking care of the Coast of Delmars, taking care of the bloodworms, and believe it or not, taking care of me, which is a real full-time job. Tough task. I couldn't be any luckier. <laughs> I, got a, I got a great, great partner. That's amazing. So so you said 30% or so loss? In a, it was, in a it was, most losses were about 30%. Yeah. And they would be losses up to 75% at times. Because if they come in with that refrigeration correctly, or if they got heated for a while, or they were left on a tarmac, uh, there is no, you can't recoup your loss. I right, mean, that's, right. you know, that, that's just money that you're throwing against the wall. Where are most blowworms coming from? Maine and Nova Scotia. Okay. Yeah, that's where most of your diggers are from. And like everything else, they've been over-harvested. Mm-hmm. So because of being over-harvested, the quality has suffered. Too many people are by digging too many worms in too many places where they shouldn't be digging them. They're taking any size worm they can, so they're not leaving any worms there to breed. They're not letting the little ones grow up. Um, so that's going to be a problem. And until Maine faces that, it's still going to be a shortage. We only see the quality just decreasing mm-hmm. and the quantity decreasing. Hmm. Um, and so the price is going to go up, right? Or It's so competitive, but because how, how high are you going to go above $12 a dozen? Right. Right. I mean, you can make them twenty dollars a dozen, but then you'll make your money. But then, how many people are going to say, "You know what? I don't need this," mm-hmm. and I think that you can lose that. So we've had a couple price increases, but we're not raising our prices because it's too important to the family mm-hmm. uh, to go out and go fishing. So I can absorb that loss a little better than most of the uh, customers can. So when is bloodworm season? Uh, we usually get them in starting, you know, April one. Mm-hmm. But it depends. I, I, now April 1, April 15th, April 30th, because the market really doesn't turn on in this area until the spot and the hardhead starts showing up. Mm-hmm. So we'll start tripping our orders. This is what, June? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much June 15th to um, 
uh, July 1st is when your orders, depending on weather and fish, that's when you're, you'll start tripling your orders. And that's where uh, people, instead of buying a dozen or two, they'll buy six or eight dozen. Mm -hmm. And then the groups start going out and the headboats start going out. And that's when you see the biggest push on that. So the other day we were chatting a little bit about the changing fisheries and, you know, I'm sure, gosh, over 103 years, the changes that have happened in the fisheries in this area have got to be amazing. But more recently, you know, rockfish are changing, um, populations in decline. Whether we see that here yet or not, that's what the scientists are telling us. Um, so there may be some changes in the future. Uh, we've had record rains the last year, um, last year's calendar year, but also since then we've just keep getting these rains. Uh, so how has that changed what people are buying or what people are talking about in the store? Is there much change happening here? Or? Um, yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of change. But getting on to a side of what you just brought up, I remember as a boy you had striper tackle you would sell, but the big thing was bass fishing. I mean, it was all bass fishing. Bass fishing was where it went on and on and on and on. Because mm -hmm. it was all year long. It was They're all always year here. long, and people would do that all the time. Yeah. Striper fishing was there, but that was almost, you had certain people going out in boats to catch the tri stripers, mm -hmm. and that was pretty basic. Mm -hmm. um, oh, but talking about the bass fishing, uh, bass fishing was, that's why the sign out front. And by the way, the sign is a Maryland Historical Landmark. It was made in 1938. No kidding. It's the original sign, yeah, in neon. and um, But that was 1938, made by Bellsinger Sign Company here in Baltimore. Um, but you see, that's why it's a bass, because bass was the important species back then. Um, coming into today, though, uh, by far the newest kid on the block are the snakeheads. Yeah. Snakeheads are not the... Not the enemy that they were first portrayed to be. They're a little different. Mm -hmm. We had to get used to them. Uh, but I think the way to approach them is they're here. Mm -hmm. They're not going anywhere. We're not going to get rid of them. So I like to approach it where and we all like bass fishing. And you take a bass and you're going to release him. Mm -hmm. Well, if you take a snakehead and you catch them, that's great food. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people love snakehead. Mm -hmm. So the reason why most of the restaurants don't carry them is because there's not a constant supply of snakeheads that they can get. Right, right. So if DNR or whoever wants to promote this, don't promote it as catch it and kill it, then you think, God, it's like a piece of trash. Mm -hmm. Promote it as more of a premier sport fish. Right, that you can also people eat. Say that, that you can also eat. Yeah. And in fact, because there's so many of them, you go ahead and eat them. Yeah. And I mean, uh, let's face it, we've got catfish now, and mm -hmm. we have snakeheads now. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to have as many stripers as I do snakeheads growing mm -hmm. in the bay. And uh, it's another cycle. Mm -hmm. We have to be conservative. We have to be smart. Uh, if we got to shut it down, you shut it down. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to do what the scientists tell us is the best thing to do for the fish. And a little common sense wouldn't hurt either. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, snakeheads are here, and people are excited about the snakeheads. They're buying a whole new variety of different types of lures for that. Um, so there's more excitement. Um, so, yeah, snakehead, and you got your uh, stripers we talked about, and um, the catfish. Catfish is, like I say, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, perch fishing was decent this season. Um, shad, eh, we'll see what happens with the shad in the next few years. Mm -hmm. Not the seasons that we've had up to a few years ago. Yeah, that's what I heard. I didn't. I usually try and get out on the Susquehanna or gunpowder. But or this year, now that I had a few guys that did well. Yeah. But it wasn't the you know the big beat of the drums right. where people were doing it. Right. And we usually tell when the runs really start. We can tell because if I'm selling a hundred shad darts a day, and the run starts, 
I'm selling 500 shad darts a day. Okay. In 24 hours, it changes that much. Okay. And so you can tell. that. And here, people can tell you, and I can tell the government, uh, if they want to know what's going on with this, this, or this, uh, like crabbing. How's crabbing been? You pick five stores. You call them up. Say, how are your crab tab sales now to where it was this time last year? Yeah. They can say, man, we can't keep them in stock. You know, crabbing's good. You can say, I haven't reordered any. You know, crabbing stinks. You don't have to spend a million dollars for a study. There's your study. Call five people that make a living out of it. Right. And we're not swayed. So I don't have to make anybody happy by saying, oh, no, we got this many crabs and we have this many fish. I don't give a damn. I want you to tell the truth. Right. And the truth is, again, we got our problem somewhere. Well, that's the challenge with sometimes I find personally with, um, we, you know, we, we always say at CCA and a lot of the sport fishing communities, we, we recognize how different recreational fishing is than commercial in that recreational fishing, we're not very effective with our gear. It's not very effective. You want to catch a lot of fish? Use a net. You want to go out and have an enjoyable day? You know, you're going to use the tackle we use. So it's a very different uh, sure. pursuit. Um, and we always say manage for abundance. That means there's a lot of fish out there to make it easier for us, which Big goes words. against... Manage for, for what? Huh? <laughs> Manage for what? Manage for abundance. 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 Ooh, so there's a high me. abundance of, of, of uh, fish out there. <laughs> it makes it easier. And it's funny. People criticize uh, CCA sometimes and say, oh, it's just because you're not a good fisherman. You want to you know, knock down somebody else. And it's like, no, that's not what it's about. It's a rising tide lifts all ships for all those different people, all those different techniques and tackle. And it's not easy because it's a totally different game for commercial fishing. I mean, that is to maximize profits and maximize the yield that the resource can provide. And so that's that that total difference. But you're right, the economics and simplifying it like you just did. You know, if we're doing well, that means there's fish out there. And if there's more fish out there and people can be successful, you're selling more stuff, which leads to more jobs. And the trickle-down effect um, is, is amazing. And yeah. if people catch more fish, they're going to buy more license, which is going to get more revenue for special the funds. Yeah, more youth that are, it's easy for a kid to get involved and get excited about it because they're catching fish. No you question know? about it. Yeah, one of the rods you sold us, or, or actually donated to us, sorry, um, we used at the, um, <clears throat> of course, Baltimore Kids Catch, catch last year, um, but we took some to the Waterfowl Festival in Easton. And a young man came up who had, I don't think he'd ever fished before. No, he hadn't. Never caught a fish, came up, and was, you know, we're sitting there helping out, and it was cold, it's November, and it's one of the uh, the DNR fish derbies, so they released some trout. Um, there's also some panfish and bass in the, in the pond. There's even been snakeheads in the pond uh, there in Easton, um, and this young man came over, and, and there was a, a, the woman there that was with him, and, you know, he's catching a few fish, and he's cold, and, you know, t- shy, younger guy, um, but he catches a fish. I think he caught the first trout out of anybody on the pond. He caught a trout, then he caught a bluegill, and he just had a knack for it. And you could tell it. he lit up. He was excited. And so he had to go. Uh, they were going to do other stuff. And hours, I mean hours later, now bright and sunny, it's nice out, here he comes back. And we had given him a certificate that said, this is your first fish. You know, thank you on behalf of the Waterfowl Festival, CCA. Um, he came back, and I saw him, and I said, hey, what are you doing? He goes, I want to go fishing again. And at this time he had his coat. He was a little cold earlier. He didn't have his warm enough coat. And, uh, you know, the woman that was with him, I said, hey, he keeps talking about going fishing. And I went, we hooked one. (laughs) Pun intended, right? But that, so he went home with a fishing rod. And I said to him, I want to see you next year. And he went home with a little Tockerman's Tackle, (laughs) a little plastic box Box. that you donated with hooks (laughs) and the stuff you're talking about, the most basic, you know, fishing equipment, a hook, a a weight, and a rod. Fishing isn't complicated. The fish don't make fishing complicated. The fishermen make fishing complicated. Amen. So, 
Uh, spend as little as you want, as much as you want. Enjoy what you want to do. Um, make fishing fun. Don't make it a job. If you're going to work this hard and do all the charts and all the, you know, I got to compare this to this one and I got to make this chart and what is this one? Stay at work and get paid for it. You know, <laughs> it just isn't worth it. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to know certain things and that's fine. Yeah. But I have guys that come in here that I'm the, the the stress level they put on themselves is beyond. And I go over to them and I say, "Come here for a minute. Sit down." What? I said, "Sit down." I said, "You are going 100 miles a minute. You're spinning wheels." I said, "Why? You're going fishing to get away from pressure, and you're complicating your issue by making more pressure." Right, right, right. I said, "That's ridiculous." Simplify it. Look, look at fishing in a whole different way. You wouldn't get better at it, but you know, don't go nuts here. And uh, so I think that's all part of uh, all part of fishing. And different people that want to get into it, they can, they want to be the best at it. Well, yeah. enjoy it and just get better at it. So yeah, that's just and one man's opinion. Of course, of course. <laughs> and for more opinions, of course, you can always stop by Tockerman's Tackle, uh, nineteen twenty five Eastern Avenue here in Baltimore, two one two three one. Open six days a week. Right. Yeah, seven t- once in a while again. I'm thinking about going back to six days. We're up in seven oh, you're now. Seven now. Yeah, we're up seven. But I'm thinking going back to six. It's getting a little tough. Yeah. So let's put it this way: nine to six, Monday through Saturday. I can guarantee I'll be here. Yeah. Nine to six, Monday through Saturday, with a phone number of four one zero three two seven six nine four two. Not making this a commercial. However, again, stop in. <laughs> we'll be glad to help you with all your fishing needs from here in downtown Fells Point. <laughs> well. Get in here, check out Tockerman's, um, get out fishing. You know, anybody from the Baltimore area, um, check out the fly shop upstairs. Um, you know, hear the stories, the the stuff in the in the uh, memorabilia case on what the left side as you walk in. Yep, right? on the left side. Yeah, you find all sorts yep. of good stuff. And oh, we didn't talk about it again. What's coming up? Uh, all right. You and I know about just the beginning of it again. That uh, it's going to be a three year plan, uh, but we're actually going to build. Um, uh, on the second floor, go over two more buildings. We're actually going to build a seminar room, but it's going to be seminar slash. It's going to be a museum. At this point, I have over 450 books that'll be in the museum. I have over 700 different reels and over 10,000 fishing lures, along with other accessories. Uh, but it's going to take two years before even come close to opening up cabinets to uh, have the stuff on display. Uh, but that is, uh, we've started, uh, we're past it. My fly shop, I said I have it done in three, it's only seven. Uh, <laughs> but now that I got the mistakes out of the way how to do this, um, I think that uh, I'm really shooting for a three-year plan to have the museum open. Um, it'll be a, a free museum. There'll be nothing for sale. Uh, it'll be just for people to come in, but they'll be able to use the books for reference. They'll be able to touch the lures. They'll be able to touch the reels. It's going to be a, a fun museum uh, that people can say, "This is son. This is what it was when your grandfather took me fishing." Yeah, yeah. things that they can relate to. So uh, we're working on it. And so if anybody has any tackle that they are uh, confused about or don't know the history of it or the length about it or anything about it, uh, feel free to uh, either give me a call or send me a picture or whatever they do at TalkToMersInHotMail.com, whatever that thing is. Just stop send by. me a picture or stop <laughs> by, and I'll be glad to give you a little history on it of, um, of tackle because it's something that um, I'm proud of, and it's something that I hope most people will get the enjoyment out of it that, that I do. So uh, thank you, David, for coming in. and Yeah, absolutely. So you heard it here first. The museum is coming, right? The uh, museum is coming, and I don't have another one in the area. 
um, that is um, going to be as, um, it'll be both fly fishing, spin fishing. Oh, by the way, I'll tell you something else that people don't know, and I have, I have the patent papers. The first spinning reel, to my knowledge, that was ever developed, and there is not one uh, actual one in use, or there's not one that I know of, but I do have the patent papers, was actually made and designed here in Baltimore. Hmm. So the first spinning reel in the 1800s. Uh, so that will also be on display with also a lot of other uh, letters and uh, catalogs, information about the early days of fly fishing, of spin fishing. Um, I, in fact, you'll like this one. In fact, one of the uh, little ads I'm going to have up there, too, uh, Bear Paul makes something called an electric fish scaler. And right, I'm ballparking it. Let's say it sells for $180 a day. The identical fish scaler. I sent the, the people, and they didn't even know they had the ad, that they ever had the ad. But I sent them a copy of the ad, and it was an introductory ad on this device 50 years ago. And it had an introductory retail price in 1995. Mm. So I sent it to them, and I said to them, I said, can you guys still help me with this special? And uh, they thought it was something we made <laughs> up. And I said, no, this was your company. And they, did, they had no idea. So... Uh, that's the kind of stuff we're going to have, fun stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, we're looking forward to it, and there'll be more to come as time comes on with the uh, Dave's, of course, the CCA podcast, Broadcasting Live. <laughs> thanks, Dave, for coming in. I really appreciate it, and thanks to the Baltimore public for allowing me to uh, take up uh, an hour of your time. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. And, again, everybody, the stories are nonstop in here and the, the, you know, the great service, endless products. If you can't find it in here, you can order it, get it ordered. Uh, but trust me, there's enough in here that uh, you will find what you need to get out fishing and, and enjoy a day on the water and be able to tell folks that, you you, you know, you buy some tackle at the uh, the oldest tackle shop in the country and probably the world. Um, so I'm lucky to be a Baltimore resident and um, shop at all the great tackle shops around the, around the state, but uh, Tochterman's is home. So if you're in the area or even out of the area, stop on by uh, and don't miss the uh, just the experience of coming in here and shopping local. And supporting a great uh, family history. Shop in small. Shop small. Shop Remember small. that. Shop small. Shop small. So with that, that's uh, episode four, a shop conversation here with uh, Tony Tochterman. Thank you. <laughs>